G'day everyone, it's Tom Craig here. This is episode two of my podcast. It's called The Help Side, and I'm very excited that we're up and running. Uh, in this podcast, I am to interview some of the most recognizable names in hockey. And now, I'm able to do so on platforms such as Spotify and iTunes. So if that's more your kettle of fish, please jump on, like, subscribe, and I promise to get some more juicy content out to you. Now, if you missed last week with Jeremy Haywood, I would recommend go back and listen to it because he had some awesome things today. He's a very interesting guy and funny as well. This week, my guest is no different. He's a fantastic guy. He's achieved a lot in the sport and he's also a very entertaining human being. Now, if you missed it last week, the help side is a term in hockey that refers to the other side of the pitch, away from where the action happens. And in the same sense, this podcast is aiming to bring you these hockey names in the same respect, show you their other side, where they came from, how they got to be where they are today. So, let's rip in episode two of the help side with Matthew Swan coming at you. Enjoy. Oh, reverse stick squeezes through. Yes, Matty Swan. Trijesh can't get it away. Matt Swan parries it into the goal. Matthew Swan, or Swanee, as he's known to just about everyone that follows hockey, is one of the most popular players, not just in the Kookaburra squad, but in our sport. He's a two-time Olympian, a dual World Cup gold medalist, a qualified accountant, and formerly my very own housemate. The Energizer Bunny of the Australian team, he can be carrying the ball into the attacking circle at one end and in a matter of seconds, inexplicably, be making a goal-saving tackle at the other end. Swanee's skill, speed and elite level of fitness has made him one of the most dominant outside halves of the decade. This interview takes us on a journey from central Queensland, where Swanee grew up, to Brisbane, then Perth, in pursuit of his hockey dreams and ultimately to the pinnacle of hockey at the London and Rio Olympics. And he's not done yet. Swanee is smart, funny, and quite simply, one of the best blokes you'll ever meet. I hope you enjoy the help side of Matthew Swan. Swanee, after a few technical difficulties, we've got you. Yeah, we won't say on whose part or uh, whose side <laughs> or blame any networks or anything like that, but we're on. <laughs> How you going? Yeah, good. Good, mate. I'm um, enjoying my Easter at home, so that's it's quite quite nice. Perfect. As we're recording, it is Easter Sunday. You've got quite the list of achievements. Dual Olympian, one bronze in London, two Commonwealth Games gold medals, three World Cups, two gold, one bronze at the World Cup. And in 2011, you were the World Junior Player of the Year. It's, um, it's a massive list of achievements and I'm stoked to have you on the show. But what we're going to do is move on to something very topical. We're going to talk about the Olympic Games postponement. For those of you who were listening last week, what happened was Colin Batch came in on Monday, the 23rd of March in the morning, 7.30 a.m. meeting and said um, the Olympics been postponed till July. So first off, Swanee, what was your reaction to that? Yeah, surreal experience really. Um, didn't think it was real to begin with. I mean, such a massive event. Um, everybody in the world looks forward to it every athlete in the world trains towards it for four years. And then to hear that it wasn't going ahead was, uh, yeah, it was a shock to begin with. And yeah, you don't really know what to do with yourself at, at that stage. I mean, me coming towards the end of my career, you think, oh, geez, what a, um, what a turn of events. You're, you're probably um, like, you're still feeling good. You're still playing well. Um, but what will an extra year do to your body? Um, will you still be in the same frame of mind? Will you still be um, taking the game on? Will you be playing differently? Um, you know, it's uh, it's so funny that those those uh, feelings come come into your mind. Um, but um, I guess every athlete would be uh, taking it differently. Yeah, exactly. And to be fair, though, you're only thirty years old, which is not. I'm th- 31 in in May. Yeah, but you're 30 right now. Like my those stats yeah, are up to that. So <laughs> you would be young. so you'd be 32 next year. Correct. Which yep. as we mentioned last week with Jerry, that's that's the top end of the performance zone. 
28 to 32, we, we decided was was performance done. So you're right in amongst it. Ah, oh, sweet. Well, going off those statistics, then I, I should be feeling really good. <laughs> yeah, they are official. Um, but really, with the Olympics being postponed, I, I guess it's no major scoop, but you are thinking that it'll probably be your last Olympics. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, there you go. That's was, about to make headlines. <laughs> I would say so. I mean, I've had a a, a really good career so far. Uh, if you look at the, um, if you look at it from an achievements point of view, but also from um, a personal point of view, I've I've had so much fun along the journey, um, and I've done some pretty cool things. So I don't know to say that. Tokyo would be my last Olympics. I wouldn't be disappointed if it was. Sure. Okay. So we'll leave that in the questionable column. That's plausible. Yeah. Yeah. That's one for the gossip mags, not not the front page of a reputable (laughs) news source. (laughs) Like the Sydney Herald. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, we're going to take it back to right to the start. You're from Mackay. I also read in my research that you were born in Gympie. That was where I read um, that you debuted at the Aslan Shah, obviously. Well, don't, don't, don't say anything bad about Gympie because it's a great small country town. Uh, but you weren't born from there. I was born in Gympie. You, oh, you I, were born in Gympie. I was. I was, yes. Oh, correct. Yeah. W- well done. Um, I was supposed to be born in the Nambour Hospital, but um, as always, I just uh, came a little bit early. So... <laughs> And uh, yeah, I was born in Gympie, so um, a lot of great products out of Gympie. Um, not really sure who, but <laughs> my my parents <laughs> and my grandparents. So there we go. <laughs> That's classy. All right, so it's fair to say that Mackay was home for you for your childhood. Yes, definitely. I I went to primary school and secondary school in Mackay and preschool so but i moved to mackay when i was four and a half four and a half okay four and a half yeah and that was the start of your your hockey career there as well yes exactly um played for the great school of mackay west state school Mm -hmm. wearing Mm -hmm. the blue and yellow oh really yeah yeah good colors sydney colors too actually um and when you so you it's been documented Again, in my extensive research, that you learn to play from your sisters. So basically, that's what happened. It's a it's a family affair hockey. I get. I think that's um for the hockey community. Everyone kind of knows that that's how you get into it. Someone in your family somewhere is played, and you give it a go. And for you, that was the case. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, my uh, my dad was um, a footy player when he was young, but um, obviously, footy you just you can only play it till you're like twenty eight. 29 and then you just start to not being able to walk or or lift things because of busted knees and busted shoulders so he played hockey and and then my sisters played hockey and i joined in it yeah, was right. a lot of fun cool and for it was a, it's a big family right yeah yeah three older sisters um so <laughs> i learned every yeah most mostly all uh, all i know from them in my younger days uh they had we used to play games where um, the eldest had to wear roller blades in the backyard because it was too unfair. She was six years older than me, so we had to even <laughs> the playing field. <laughs> <laughs> and Mackay life in general, outside of hockey, I know you like going back and um, you enjoy getting out to the reef and going fishing. Is that, yes. Is it, was that your childhood? Was going out to the reef, fishing, coming home, playing hockey, getting schooled by your sisters and then... Going to school the next day. What's a what's a fair? Well, I, ne- I, ne- I never I never lost against my sisters. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's on record. The, the, <laughs> one on four or what? <laughs> well, it was actually just that they got sick of beating me, but I said, "Well, one to twenty-one, one to forty-two. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Until they until they gave up, it was persistence <laughs> that I won, and ma- and maybe that's why I am where I am today because I just never give up. <laughs> Take note, any kids out there, always if, shift the goalpost. <laughs> <laughs> if only that worked for uh, for the uh, World Cup semi-final, maybe we would have uh, <laughs> yeah, actually true. won that one. <laughs> true, true, true. Um, <clears throat> and then 
and and moving on. So um, born and raised in Mackay, played a lot of hockey over there for the Mackay Mud Crabs. You're a good central Queenslander. Not the Mud Crabs. It is the Mud Crabs. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I thought you said Mud Crabs. <laughs> mud Crabs. No, it's the Mud Crabs. We know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then after probably taking out a couple of titles with the Mud Crabs, you you moved to the big smoke, which is pretty standard for um, country kids in, in Queensland who have any talent. They, they often move to Brisbane to pursue their dreams. It's kind of unavoidable, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, uh, the QAS, well, in my, when I was growing up, the, the regional QAS and then the, uh, the Brisbane QAS is where you really wanted to get to. And as soon as, if you were a part of the regional QAS uh, cohort, you would, you would be gearing yourself up as soon as grade 12 would finish, you would move yourself to Brisbane to join that, uh, to join that crew and, and then hopefully find your way into um, the Queensland Blades, which was the senior men's Queensland team, um, now known as the Brisbane Blades. Uh, I think that at that stage, that's really what um, any country girl or boy um, thinks about and that's where they aim to go it doesn't really matter um if you don't have any support there you you eventually figure figure the figure it out um and hopefully you have a friend who's moving with you at that same time yeah and i remember you telling me that um when you were growing up you didn't really harbor any ambitions to play for the kookaburras it was more playing for the blade at the time <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was definitely. Uh, in, what, when was it? In grade seven, um, at the end of the year, you have those uh, annual yearbooks, and you have to put um, your little quote in of what you're going to achieve. And mine was uh, swan soaring for the blades. So <laughs> it was never about the kookaburras. <laughs> it was always about playing for Queensland. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. And certainly playing for Queensland, you're blessed in the era that you had looking up to as you came through. Um, I was looking at the stats as a New South Welshman myself. It was heavy reading, but um, the Blades, these are the ones I think you've been involved in. 2006, 7, 10, 12, 13, 15 and 18. Queensland men have won the Australian national title. Um, how many of those were you involved in? Uh, from 2007 onwards. 2007, right. Yeah. Which is pretty. That's a that's a pretty elite resume as far as Australian domestic hockey goes. Um, yeah. Not many people would have those bragging rights. Nah, no. Nah, it was. Um. I was. I was lucky. I was very lucky to. Uh. To be brought in. I was still seventeen when I was when I played my first game for, the Blades, and I got to uh, travel over to Perth and play in the two thousand seven Grand Final, um, which was, awesome. Yeah, the only reason why I actually got on the field was because Nathan Eglinton uh, busted his shoulder in the uh, in the game. So I went from potentially going on as a spare left half to uh, <laughs> to going on as a left striker, <laughs> just to create havoc. So it was very interesting. I How think I got maybe two touches, two touches for the game, but and they were they were defensive, no doubt. <laughs> they were defensive, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Um, well then, speaking of Perth, um, with the AIS over in Perth, you spent what a year in Brisbane and then moved over. Uh, no, no, actually, I spent two and a half years in Brizzy. Um, mm-hmm. I I moved there in August, no, in December two thousand and geez, uh, five, and then um, I moved no. December 2006 so I started 2017 and then uh, midway through 2009 I moved over to Perth after playing in the Junior World Cup right and how was that as a transition yeah yeah it was uh it was it wasn't too bad I mean I got to move over with Matt Goads who um, debuted in the same game as I did Uh, we played all our junior hockey uh, together he was played over a hundred games for the Kookaburras as well and went to two Olympics. So it was pretty cool. Um, a Rockhampton kid and a Mackay kid, uh, basically playing all their junior hockey together and making their debut and being friends as well. So 
Yeah, uh, that's wasn't cool. too bad. So what you were saying about moving to Brisbane, even if you don't know anyone, it's not too bad. Moving to Perth is a similar vibe. You're meeting people along the way and coming into a team environment, you, you've got instant friends, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, depends. Depends how you depends on your personality and stuff like that. Um, if you're willing to put yourself out there and just, just have some fun and, and meet, meet the guys. And I, I guess, um, yeah, it, the situation is what you make of it. It can be quite daunting for people who are a little bit shy um, and they don't get amongst it as much. Um, so yeah, it can, the, the situation can flip on its head very quickly. Yeah. It sounds like you're being a tap <laughs> Tech work grows over there, mate. You okay? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm in my front yard and, uh, yeah, the crows have just come out. Um, there's a lot of them. They're probably thinking he is a tasty morsel. Look at this guy. <laughs> Maybe I should move to a quieter spot. <laughs> no, nah, it's all good. Um, so, obviously, with the Blaze, you, you're with a, a special class. You mentioned Nathan Eglinton, but also with the likes of Rob Hammond, Jamie... Mark Knowles, Liam DeYoung, the list kind of goes on. Um, in a 2012 YouTube interview, you listed some of those guys as your heroes, and I guess that's pretty cool that you um, – well, I guess they were heroes while you were playing with them, which is which would be a bit embarrassing between you two when you're training with them and, and um, they know that, you know, they're your heroes and you know that they know. But um, – Certainly, that's that's a pretty cool class of people to have to look up to and guide you through the transition from country Queensland to the AIS in Perth. How important were they for for your development and you still mates? Oh yeah, they were, they were awesome. And I know maybe maybe they thought it was awkward, but I never thought it was. I was like, hey man, you're my hero. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, cool. <laughs> Well, I know. Uh, <laughs> I'm yeah, heaps of people I, with you. Right? I'm heaps of you. It's not a big deal. Uh, yeah. No, they're um, still mates today. They were awesome uh, for my development. I mean, especially Nolsey and, um, and in the early part of my Blades career, Dean Butler, who was, yeah, I idolized him as I was growing up. Um, and it was really cool to be able to play with him for a couple of years in the Blades. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know, then you just kind of start hanging out with all those guys and sharing a drink with them after winning a couple of tournaments and whatnot. And then it's everything's history. So <laughs> Yeah, it's nice. Speaking of tournaments, um, we briefly mentioned your, your resume, a few World Cups, two Olympics with some pretty special teams. We're going to start in 2010 with your first World Cup appearance in india um pretty young new to the new to the team how long had you been in the team by the time you went uh i think i'd played 13 games pretty um pretty green then <clears throat> yeah very green um i i think i was taken to the tournament um because at, at those stages you you had 18 18 players that you could take but only 16 could field field the team so you always had a person sitting out um, so I think I was taken to that tournament as a bit of a, bit of a learning experience, um, still good enough to go and, and still good enough to step up if, ne- in, if needed. Um, but, um, so we lost the first game against England and then I was able to play against India in the second game where we won. And, um, then I unfortunately <laughs> rolled my ankle and, <laughs> and then I was, uh, yeah, couldn't really be a backup player for the rest of the tournament. Tried tried to play against Pakistan, but it was it's pretty pretty shocking. So it was That's awesome amazing. to just awesome to just really be a part of and those um, and yeah, uh, it was awesome awesome to be there. I guess an introduction to to major tournament um, life. You couldn't ask for anything better. No, it was amazing. I mean, to start off my career for the Cookbaras, I think we went to Malaysia and won that test match series i was then picked after that to go to the champions trophy in 2009 and we beat germany in the final um and then two months later i was picked to go to the world cup so and then we won that and then i i was picked to go to com games after that and then champions trophy after that and we won everything so 
it was for a 20 year old um 21 year old it was yeah it was sick sick fun yeah and what it was what was it like to obviously there was a there was a core of the group there we mentioned them earlier but um you were playing with some of the best Australia's had particularly in the last um you know 20 years anything you can tell us about sharing the field with those guys and and the learnings I guess that that came with that yeah I mean Dorna Luke Dorna um one of Australia's most illustrious flickers. <laughs> uh, he was he was really good to play with. I mean, he was he was really hard, like a hard defender, and always had really direct conversations with you as well. So I learned a lot from him. And with your drag flicking of, and stuff. Not with my drag flicking, just like in, <laughs> in his vision of the game. I mean, he wasn't the very he wasn't the most fast moving player, so he had to get himself in the right position to to make a. Uh, uh, I guess make a difference um, on a on a situation. Whereas I was a little bit speedier, a little bit quicker, so I could I could probably I don't know, kind of not get to a situation until a little bit later. But Mate, it's good to. I have to say, of everyone you could have picked, that is Luke Dawn is probably the furthest from you as far as game style plays. Yeah, but you learn Constantly. stuff from other people. Yeah, true. Okay. So, like, what? <laughs> So, so, okay. So, from a Luke Donald point of view, he has to play the game so much different to me that you go, okay. So, what does he do that then you can do, like, so that it helps your game? So he had to always get to challenges earlier, which, for me, I was getting there way late. So then I started getting there earlier, and I started getting way more tackles. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, and plus the rest of the guys like. Beggars, um, he was he was really good player, like really calm, really good deliverer, um, good tackler. So I don't know, it was kind of like the, the the flow in the team and 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 Fergus Kavanagh as well. That defense, that whole defensive group. I mean, it just worked. We were all just really good, really good in the flow, really good defenders, really good markers. And then you had Nolsey who wrapped it all together, being one of the best free men ever to play the game. Um, it was just the defensive unit was solid. It was we were good. We were flying. And as you say, that team found a lot of success in the next couple of years. Um, but I got to talk about London. I know it's it was a tough time for you, and um, but also a very rewarding one. Um, and you probably look back on it quite fondly. But um, your first Olympics as a twenty-three-year-old, pretty exciting player. Um, you'd just been named World Junior Player of the Year for the year before, um, and the Kookaburras were world number one going into London. And I think fair to say favourites um, to, to people on the outside. How was that experience for, for a young Kookaburra, I guess, finding their wings? <laughs> it was awesome. It was, it, was a, it was a very, very good run. Very, very well run uh, Olympics in my vast knowledge of two Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> London did it really well. Um, they, for some, I don't know, it, it was just a, yeah, you were just going in like a kid in a candy store. You had all these resources available to you. You had um, so, so many like unique athletes around um, who were doing like, whatever they needed to do to get ready for their particular event. Um, small people, very, very tall people, very large people. Like it was just, it's, uh, it was a, a really unique and amazing experience to be a part of. And like one of the kickers was just free food <laughs> and, and, and drinks whenever you wanted them. There was coffee carts, like pushing their way around the village, um, fresh fruit brought to the village every single day. Um, I don't know. It was just, it was surreal how, how crazy like the inside the village is and how much of a bubble you find yourself in. Yeah. So you've got all these, like people talk about the distractions in the village. Um, and I guess the way you describe it, it could be very distracting, but on top of that, you got to play hockey too. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, there's so many, so many things that can go wrong. You could, you could eat, 
too much food compared to what you normally what you normally do. You could go walking around the village compared to what you normally do in a day when you're in your normal training environment. Um, you could do too much because there's there's a gym available 24/7. Um, so you overtrain yourself. Um, you could do too little because you just want to chill and watch sport in your room. Like there's, it's. Yeah, it it is a really really unique situation to be in, and like you just you really have to just be focused on what you're there to do. Um, being hockey, we're we're kind of lucky in the sense that you have, we know every single time we go to Olympics, we have two weeks where we need to perform for the whole time. So there's there's a sense of um, I guess direction from from day one, um, and there's also within the group you have. I guess, a, a responsibility to stay switched on for the whole tournament. And um, to the hockey itself, I mean, you guys got through to the semi um, in pretty convincing fashion. You guys were looking pretty good. Um, and then won the, won the bronze medal easily. So with, with the semi-final, I guess, um, you know, the, the script of sport is written on the outcome often of just one game and, and who knows what might've happened, but um, you want to talk about that game briefly. I'm interested to hear how it was from your perspective. Uh, Yeah. I mean, Germany were a fantastic team as well. I think um, with all due credit, uh, probably Germany and Australia were the two top teams um, at that time. We played them in the 2010, well, 2009 champions trophy, 2010 world cup. Um, and then, um, yeah, played them in the 2012 uh, semi-final. I think they had a number of fantastic players as well, as well as we did. So it was a it was a really, really good and, and tough battle to be in. Um, we were playing well, had them under the pump for a majority of the game. And then uh, we just could never really get a, a, a good enough lead. We couldn't really get a two-goal break or anything like that um so in true german fashion they they were quite clinical when they needed to be they they got a, a nice corner to um to go to all and then within two minutes they got another corner and then they scored that one again so it was three two and then we were chasing um with i think eight minutes to go in the game and then uh as you do when you're when you're chasing a game, you're eight minutes to go, semi-final, you're trying to push up, you're trying to go hard, trying to attack as much as possible, maybe a bit over-aggressive, over and then they just got a, uh, a quick counter, and then it was 4-2. So within about eight minutes of play, we go from being 2-1 up uh, to 4-2 down, and then you've got five minutes to go, and you, you can't really win from there. Well, you can, but it's just, I remember with about, with still when it was 4-2, five minutes ago, I was, I was thinking, yeah, we can still score two goals in this time easy. We've done it before because we had, um, but yeah, we didn't. I remember, so. I remember when you, um, when I first moved over and we were talking about the Olympics, um, I remember you saying that Olympics are really, really hard to win. Um, and certainly watching um, both London and Rio, the it looks like the standard goes up a fair bit. Would you agree? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody pours as much um, time and funding and uh, anything into sport uh, for that one year. So you have a steep incline of how teams perform in that one year. So um, we, yeah. It, it's sometimes it's luck. I mean, before the Rio Olympics, no one would have thought that Argentina would have won gold. No one. No one would have said that. So they come out and they they beat um, they beat they beat Germany, and then they went on to beat um, Belgium in the final. Belgium in the final. So and yeah. So I don't know. It's just the the Olympics are weird. Sometimes they they. They really are a tournament where things don't go as planned. Um, you have to have a resilient nature to try and, uh, if you're supposed to win, you have to have a really resilient nature and, and just try and focus and, and concentrate on what you can do and 
and hopefully luck will be on your side as well. But they say, they say that um, that doesn't come into it a bit, but I don't know. You, yeah, it's like sometimes you just need a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. True. <laughs> Now, I'm going to briefly interrupt here to introduce a feature of the show. We'll call it our Hero of Hockey segment. We know that community sport flourishes on the back of hardworking volunteers who give up their time and effort simply for the love of it. And we want to give you, the listener, the opportunity to contact us and tell us who deserves to be our Hero of Hockey for the week. Tell us who they are, what club they're from, and what they've done for the sport, and we'll give them and your club a shout-out. So, get in touch via our socials, and your nominee could be chosen for the next episode. Our hero of hockey for this week is Sally Johnson. Sally is the president of the University of Wollongong Hockey Club and is a key cog in the wheel that keeps the club up and running. Sally has a wonderful heart for the club and contributes in many ways outside of just her duties as club president and hockey mum to three kids. You'll regularly find her cleaning out the storeroom, organising uniforms, equipment and school programs, as well as facilitating the smooth operation of the junior club and playing first grade. Incredible. Well done, Sally. We love your work. Now let's get back to Swanee, who's just about to take us inside the Kookaburras camp during the 2014 World Cup. So there were there were a couple of years in between um, London and maybe one of the, the greatest success stories of, of the modern era in the 2014 World Cup, um, which you were obviously a central part of, but um, obviously such a dominant performance by everyone throughout that entire World Cup, very different, similar scenario. I mean, the uh, Kookaburras coming in, world number one into both tournaments, um, both made like big crowds, similar environment, big festival vibe. Um, and to compare the two are really completely different outcomes, obviously, but, but um, the team looked like it grew a lot um, in those two years. Yeah. Um, not sure. I, I guess we just started being a little bit more clinical in our semi-final and our final, especially in that tournament. Um, we were, we were, we were good at, uh, at London as well. And, and we was, we were good at, um, in the Hague, but what I think what the difference was, um, in that semi-final we had, we played against Argentina and we beat them five, one or five nil or, or something ridiculous. Um, and Jeremy Haywood scored two goals, two drag flicks in that tour, in that um, game, and it was be- it was purely because we knew how Argentina ran, how their keeper stood, and that they would give Jerry enough space to get a flick off down his down the keeper's uh, left foot, and we scored two goals. Whereas maybe we wouldn't have done that um, previously. And then you fast forward to the final, everybody's still playing really well. Um, uh, we go down 1-0 against Holland in the first 15 minutes or something. Um, and then uh, from there, it was just, we were just automatic. We, we just, yeah, like we defended really well. We took our chances. Um, and Chris Sorello uh, scored hat-trick of flicks. And so you go from a game that could potentially, if you don't score those flicks, being 3-1, two-goal lead, very, very difficult to, to hold on to and also quite a dangerous lead um, to being 6-1. <laughs> I guess it's, a, um, it's kind of paying respect to the importance of the penalty corner um, in major tournaments. I know in 2016 with Argentina, Gonzalo Payat was um, unbelievable. Like He was flicking goals for fun there and um, played no small role in, in leading them to their gold. But it sounds like the World Cup um, with both Chris Cirillo and, and Jeremy on fire makes a big difference having a good corner battery that performs at these big events. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, you can get away with it in the round games because you might be playing a team where they're a little bit less, so you get away with a 3-2 win. But in those big games, when you get that one opportunity, you need to make it count. Otherwise, you know, you might not go your way. Yeah. And they were pretty emphatic, emphatic victories for sure. Fast forward there to the the new era, I guess, um, with Colin Bash, Rob Hammond, Anthony Potter at the helm. Different style of play, 
different players, big clean out. How's that experience been? Like you, you're an elder statesman now, Swanee. I have one of our teammates, and I quote three good quotes from one of our teammates. Uh, <laughs> he's got a small body, um, one of the oldest in the group, and um, unremarkable in his approach to hockey. And I'm not joking. They are legitimate quotes that can be found <laughs> online when you Google Matthew Swan. Um, from the current crop as well. So I would definitely go on a witch hunt and find out who said that. And more importantly, who posted it and, um, and bring him to justice. But he is right. You are one of the oldest in the group. Um, and you've seen a lot of hockey before this group kind of got together in the last few years. How's it changed? Uh, from Rick to, to Batchy. Yeah, Rick to Post to to Bachi. There's been a few coaches. Oh that yeah, you've, true. You've yeah, sorry, under. sorry, um, Graham. Um, yeah, I don't know. I li- I like uh, Bachi's approach to it all. He's got a very uh, philosophical approach to it. I think um, he's quite. He's been quite good to me in terms of um, allowing me to balance my my external life with my hockey as well. Um, as I as I get older, um, which has been awesome. I love working with Potsy just because he's <laughs> he's uh, very adamant that um, you should just get amongst it and, and score goals and and do this and treat <laughs> and man after your own heart you're tr- you're tr- yeah. <laughs> goal seeking machine I am <laughs> I am I am from a defensive point of view I'll, I'll I'll get up there and try and score for sure <laughs> I've only got seven to my name and two hundred and four I'm I'm lacking I'm lacking. Um, no, I just like his approach. He's just, he's a very fun coach to play with. And, and Rob Hammond's style is just, he was like that as a player as well. He's just a super, super thinking coach. Um, and he's such a great, great coach to, to have conversations with, um, technical conversations. And, um, and yeah, I, I've always respected that. Even when I was playing, playing with Rob, he was a fantastic teammate. And it helps they're, they're both from North Queensland as well. Oh, 100%. I mean, you're never going to get better better quality coaches. I mean, it's disappointing that Batchy's from Victoria, but, you know, we'll live with it. Two out of three is not bad. It, it hasn't, wisely. <laughs> it hasn't all been smooth sailing for you. Um, that 204 games could, could just as easily be pushing 300 had you not um, had a fair run of injuries, um, which have been tough for you, obviously but also probably some, some good lessons and resilience and, and that sort of thing. Do you want to just talk through your experience? Because it's a, it's a part of elite sport getting injured and, and unfortunately some people get injured more than others. But, um, yeah, do you have much to, to say on the topic? Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I, it's really, <laughs> but from my point of view, I, I push myself 100% at every single training, no matter what. And I think that's why I have been able to play as many games as what I have for the Kookaburras because um, I don't, it, there's no big jump from training to, to an international match. Sometimes it's actually easier um, to play an international match. Um, so from that point of view, um, if I was to take it, take it less um, at training, maybe I wouldn't have been as good of a player. I would have, been less injured but maybe I wouldn't have been as as good of a player as as dominant on a on an international field so if uh if you're from that point of view I would say that I guess the injuries are just part and parcel of of elite sport um so part of your game style as well it sounds like yeah and part of my my game style um you you get some players who are very lucky um who don't get injured who are very resilient and they continue to play well um, on the international stage as well. Eddie Ockerden is a prime example of that. Um, but I think everybody's going to have injuries when they play at top top level or they're all going to have niggles or, or something's going to be sore and you're going to have to play through pain, et cetera, et cetera. So um, just, just, just to have like, I guess, a resilient mind frame to that and... Um, yeah, just to keep on pushing. And if it's really what you want to do, then um, there's there's no real. I mean, what's what's two months in in a in a ten year career? It's nothing when you look back at it. If you can still play in the tournaments that you want to play in, then yeah, no but regrets. 
it has to be said that recently, I guess injuries were, were something that plagued, um, I guess your mid twenties as you've, as you've matured or kind of, um, neared your thirties, those, those injuries have really reduced. Have you changed anything? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, yeah, I think it was, t- well, what was it? 2013 midway through there all the way through to 2015 end of 2015 I think I went through like a, a, it would have been like maybe a year year and a half where I was just constantly or constantly injured um, so I think from that it would have been oh I guess I guess it <laughs> I don't want to pump his pump his shoes up too much but I think it would have been Brendan Appleby to be honest um, our strength and conditioning um, coach he he came on board and he he just had a different approach um and he made sure that i was doing exercises that were going to keep me on the pitch and i've been really working hard and in the gym um on uh, i guess um resilient exercises to make my body um cope the 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 load that it goes under and it it seems to have been working so for sure um Moving on now to to the traveling that comes with playing hockey, it's definitely afforded you a lot of opportunities. You spent a few seasons in Europe and came back with a wife and now you're well settled in in, in Australia. But um, I guess maybe people want to hear what the what the experience is, is like in, in Europe and obviously not everyone comes back finding the love of their life and getting married and et cetera, et cetera. But um, <laughs> what's that experience like? Well, I would say to those people that they're doing it wrong, but anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was just trying to follow in Jamie's footsteps, to be honest. Um, he went over there and he found himself a wife, a Dutch wife. So I was like, you know what? That sounds pretty cool. I might try the same. And here we so are. It, was, it was motivated by love, was it? <laughs> it was motivated by my idol. And then, yeah, right. <laughs> love, love for my idol. And then, yeah, obviously then love with Rose. <laughs> Um, but that was fun, was it? It was like obviously a sick yeah. experience for you. To be honest, if anybody, if any young player wants to go over and play in Europe, no matter what level it is, I think it's a fantastic idea. It's such a unique and different environment. No matter if you go to Spain, Germany, um, Holland, Belgium. Um, where did your brother go? Uh, was it ben Canary Islands? Yeah, he went That's to the Spanish Canary League. Islands. It is a Spanish, <laughs> Spanish team, yeah. So yeah, maybe just get in contact with uh, with Tom's brother, uh, <laughs> get you hooked up with the Canary Island team. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's awesome. I mean, the the <laughs> it's so different. You you um just to paint a paint a picture, I guess. Um, you you go everything is um a G'd up for the Sunday match. You go there, you get all pumped up. Everybody's so keen to play club. You you got all the all the members there. You got all all your supporters there, and you just you, you get so so involved in it. And then after the game, there's just so many people just around holding onto their one hockey stick, still got their <laughs> shin pads on. They're all drinking beers. Um, they're all just absolutely loving loving the vibe. Um, it, no matter if it's. Uh, if it's raining or if it's two degrees, they're still braving the cold. <laughs> uh, and I, I think it's just, yeah, it's, it's a crazy experience. Um, and then you've obviously got the hockey parties there, which, uh, which is how I met Rose. So those are, those are pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> and the hockey itself, you, you played for Bloomingdale and won EHL, which is no, no main feat. That's a pretty cool, pretty cool achievement. Yeah, it was it was sick. It was um, it's a, it's a fantastic tournament. Um, uh, all the European clubs, the best of the European clubs, um, you all come together and you play. And and this time the EHL was actually played at Bloemendaal, so we were at home. Uh, we were playing against Amsterdam in the semi final of the EHL, and we we were down two nil. With uh, 15 minutes to go in the two uh, Dutch clubs, yeah, like so two, two, du- two Dutch clubs, Dutch, yep. Dutch teams yep. playing each other in the European Hockey League semi-final. Yeah, in the European Hockey League semi-final, and uh, 
so we got back to 2-1 and then Fergus Kavanagh, who I was um, playing with over in Europe uh, that year, he scored a decider and then it went to a shootout and I was able to score a, a penalty shootout and it was just, it was crazy. It was, uh, yeah, sick, sick fun. Then we was went it, on to be... Wait, the deciding penalty shootout? Uh, no, no, no. Not but a very important, like super important one anyway. Well, we'd missed our first one. They oh, yeah, missed their on. first one. I was the second end up. I, this, this is only when shootouts initially came into uh, the the hockey scene and I was able to put mine away. So to That's get huge. us up. Yeah, it was huge. <laughs> a sick experience. Uh, it was sick. Um, the, we basically just, yeah. Uh, so after that game, we then played KHC Dragons and then um, it was just a massive party at the club. Just just awesome, I don't know, 8,000 people just kind of crowded around this small club venue. Um, yeah, this, our, um, there's a, our supporters are called the Bloomigans and they were letting off orange flares in the stands. And yeah, it was just, it was uh, really, really sick. So the hot tip is go to Europe, find a wife, win EHL, score a shootout in the semifinal. <laughs> And then, if you, if, you, if you can do all those things, then yeah, I, I would agree. <laughs> then Although, it's a good experience. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, there's plenty of culture that you can just cruise around and ride your bike and and see in Europe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a different scene. We're gonna move on to, um, I guess, uh, yourself. You're a great exponent of, um, I guess, some of the struggles of being a semi-professional athlete. Um, Obviously, it's not a sport where you're earning millions and um, you can afford to rely on for the rest of your life. Yourself, you work full-time and play hockey. And, um, yeah, I guess you're, you're a great example of, of how to balance your life and, and um, how to, I guess, have your cake and eat it too. But it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Do you feel uh, like you're having your cake and eating it too or not really? <laughs> I mean, maybe a bit no, more cake, maybe no cake. <laughs> I don't know if I have time to eat cake. Actually, <laughs> so. No. Um, yeah, it's, 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 cha- it's challenging. Uh, I always think that if you are in this sport, there's like sport gives you so much um, from a, like a semi-professional sport. It gives you so much enjoyment. It gives you so many friends. Um, and it also just gives you so many different contacts. So from that point of view, um, sport is fantastic. And I think anybody who wants to do it should definitely um, endeavour in trying at least um, rather than just giving it away um, because of the fact that there's, there's, no, there's not a substantial amount of money involved because later down the track you might, might regret that decision. Um, so for me... It's it's gone to the stage where I've I've uh, I've enjoyed my hockey career and it's start it's time to start um, thinking about what's what's next and I don't want to find myself in a situation where hockey will be gone and I'll have nothing so I decided to first of all finish my accounting degree and then um, and then start working for an uh, international firm called PwC and and while studying my um, chartered accountancy so um, it's quite busy. Yeah, it sounds for sure. For sure, but, it uh, sounds busy. I'm gonna I'm <laughs> gonna ask you your daily schedule in a bit, but I actually um I made a LinkedIn account recently so that um oh, I could dangerous. have a look at what your what your peers thought of you. Um, what did you make it? What was your LinkedIn name? Have you added it yet? What's that? No, not yet. But I was I was just saying. So I'm assuming these ratings are out of ten, but um your profile has a, a ten for customer service, um an eight Microsoft Office. Um, rating and a and a seven out of ten for strategic planning. So you're obviously well regarded in in the accounting sphere, particularly at PwC. I think my mum gave me those ratings. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, ten out of ten for customer service. Like that's that's pretty high. That's a good. Oh, you must be good. I I am. Yes, yes, I am. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> But um, you like it's tough what you do, you know. Like your schedule is full on. You want to just talk about that real quick? Give us a day in the life. Uh, all right, yeah. So I wake up at five um, to get myself at 
training. Normally I I On snooze <laughs> Normally I snooze snooze my alarm a couple of times and then uh, find myself in a bit of a uh, spot of bother when I'm trying to get to training on time. But I get to training um, for a, a 6.30 warm-up and then um, we're normally finishing and getting off the pitch by about 8.30, 8.45. Um, then once that's done, I then uh, cool down and, and do all the necessary things um, for the body and then get to work by about 9.30, 9.45 um, and then work. If, if, it, if this is a Monday, then work um, up until 4, 4, 4 4.45, 5 o'clock, drive to, uh, to gym to then do, do my gym session and then I'm probably home at about 7, 7, quarter past 7 at night. Um, and luckily, I do have a beautiful wife who looks after <laughs> me and cooks, cooks dinner before I'm home. And it's really, it's rinse and repeat. Like there's, there's not a lot of respite. I guess the, the respite comes when you're away on tour and you don't have to be in the office. But I guess like any graduate, you're, you're often in the office until midnight occasionally. And I won't, I'll make sure that this podcast doesn't get disseminated to Batchy or anyone who might care what time you're getting home for a, for a 5 a.m. wake up. But they're pretty long days, aren't they? Uh, yeah, it really depends. I mean, um, the, the, the accounting uh, world, I guess, um, it has a pretty bad rap, rep for it, um, for working long hours and, and stuff like that. Um, something that uh, our company is, is, is trying to move away from. Um, uh, and I, it actually has been getting better as I've been, um, been working for longer uh, with the company. Um, but you do find yourself in, in certain situations where you you just have to get a, a lot of work done in a short period of time um and it, it's the nature of the beast um to be honest you just <laughs> you just find yourself in in situations where um your 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 teammates um are also in the same situation and and you're having to work long hours but um I'm, i luckily haven't been out haven't had to do that often um of like, which is, which um, I'm stoked about, but there and have been some days where, where, yeah, one o'clock has rolled around and I've been, Oh, I've got to get up for training in four <laughs> hours time. <laughs> Probably should go to bed. We can, we can definitely tell when we're at training and you're a little less chatty than usual and there are massive bags <laughs> under your eyes. Um, that's when I think we, we start to understand that you might be under the pump at work a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, Moving on, I think it's not, it's, it hasn't been easy though, the balance. Um, I remember in 2018 at the start, um, there, was, there was a time we had to choose between work and, um, and hockey and that came unfortunately at the time of the Commonwealth Games and that must have been difficult for you. Yeah, I mean, it was, there was, a, there was a, number of, a number of things that all kind of came together at, at, at the same point um, in my life and... Um, one of those being my wedding, um, and <laughs> and one of those um, being I just started uh, yeah a full time career with with PwC, and at that stage, although the Commonwealth Games would have been absolutely amazing to to be a part of in at in Gold Coast, um, but I I looked long term. And I thought it would have been a better situation for me to, to fully, I guess, delve into my work um, and also be around, be around more to support Rose um, with organising the wedding. And, yeah, hockey just had to take a back seat for, for, for a four or five-month period where I stood down from the, from the DTE, from the training environment, uh, which wasn't uh, wasn't a um, easy decision, um, and it it was weird, um, a weird situation, kind of like what we find ourselves in right now. Um, but uh, later that year, I joined back up like nothing had changed. Um, was straight back into, um, yeah, straight back into uh, I think World Cup World, World Cup prep, yeah, World Cup prep. So um, yeah, and then went to the World Cup. Um, 
I remember having a conversation with Rob uh, six weeks prior to returning to the group. Um, and he said, you know, you might come back and you might not be as good as what you thought you were. And, <laughs> and it was a really, really interesting conversation, but I appreciated it because it just gave me a steely reserve to show that, like, um, yeah, this was, this was a decision that was necessary and it's not going to take any effect on, on me getting back in into the uh into the team with guys and that's very much rob's way as well isn't it saying the hard but sometimes sometimes uncomfortable but often pretty well directed message oh yeah 100 percent. there i always appreciate his hard hard conversations Mm. so with that with that schedule um it almost must be quite nice for you now the the training environment's obviously been disbanded for the foreseeable future and all you have to worry about is work (laughs) <laughs> living the life man. Yeah, I don't know I, I really enjoyed um, <laughs> training with the guys to be honest like if if no nobody really understands what the training environment is like you you get there and then you just you talk talk smack for what I don't depends, know, 15, depends how early you get to train <laughs> 15, 15 to 20 minutes during warm up <laughs> Not not before warm up. I'm I'm generally running in with my uh, with my suit and tie and <laughs> throwing them into the uh, change room while then sprinting back out to make sure that I'm I'm there for Batchy's speech before warm up starts. Um, so that timing is is null and void. But maybe maybe I could actually if I got to training a bit earlier, I could get a little bit more. <laughs> I don't think anyone would expect that. Oh yeah, I reckon we can just tell you what you've missed. <laughs> No, uh, so yeah, I I don't know the the training environments. It's in, it's incredible. It's uh, it just it gees you up. It gets you ready to go. Um, I don't know. It's yeah, it's kind of like a drug. You just you just kind of once you're in it, you just want to be training harder and and being around the guys more and more. Mm, yeah, for sure. Um, just to wrap up, mate, I've got a few few quick questions for you. Unlike yep. the ones that I've been asking, they're slow questions. These are quicker. Um, yep. Quick, quick questions. First question. <clears throat> are you ready? Yep. Okay. Your favorite place to tour? Holland in the summer uh, because it is a fantastic place to be. You can ride to wherever you want to go get coffees and uh, the food is fantastic and the hockey with the crowds are amazing as well. Good crowds, educated crowds as well. They know what yep. they're looking at. They yep. they appreciate good hockey. Yep. Nice. Okay. Exactly. Best player you've played with? Uh, Mark Knowles. Because he is a great, not only just a, a great free man, uh, he's just a, a great leader and, and great person to chat with if you're a defender. I guess as well, um, going away on tour a lot. Like we don't really have where we're in a team environment whereby we see each other every day and then we go away on tour and then you get more of each other every day. And I guess for me, that never really gets old. Um, but I think to be one of the greats you've, well, the, your favorite player to play with, I guess, um, that says a lot about him off the field too. Yeah. But, as well on the field, Nolsey used to always throw me overhead, so I used to really, really appreciate that about him. <laughs> yeah, true. Overlapping, overlapping right half. Yeah, I've seen a few of those sail over yeah. my head as a New South Wales player. <laughs> Most influential player you've ever played against? Yeah, uh, Moritz Fester. The way that he, um, I guess, led, like, led Germany um, and also the way that he delivered the ball to the strikers that I had to mark was very very difficult so um i thought he was a very hard player to play against um just because when he was on the ball you never know you never knew where the ball was going to go um a lot of the times when people are hitting it forward you can kind of get get a gauge of where they're going to hit it but with him it was he was um yeah true class yeah good answer jeremy also said Moritz first up um oh, sick yeah, you guys can talk about that now in the pre, pre-warm-up bender. <laughs> um, okay, I've got two more questions. First one. Yep. Good piece of wisdom for 
I guess a Queensland kid coming through who wants to get the most out of their hockey. Or any 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 Aussie kid. Any kid. Any kid who plays hockey. Any kid who plays hockey. Um I would say uh just yeah, give it a hundred percent. Um try and enjoy it as much as possible. That's what I do every single time I'm on the field. If there's something funny that happens, I laugh about it. If uh, I do something that's silly, I probably normally get angry and then I <laughs> laugh about it. <laughs> but <laughs> try and uh, try and just enjoy it as much as possible. And, and at the end of the day, um, you're, you're going to be, if you, if you find yourself in a situation where you're in state teams or in national teams, you're there because you're good enough. Um, but it's what, it's the attitude that you take towards it that'll depend whether you'll be truly great or whether you'll not enjoy your time. Good answer. And last question, mate. Um, in my research, uh, I actually found uh, several interviews, a lot. There was a cluster around 2012 where you looked very differently to the, um, to the bearded, bald man I have in front of me today. But um, in 2012, actually, you were asked, will the headband make a return? Now, that's three years after your debut. And to be honest, me growing up watching you, it seemed as if the headband was a permanent fixture. But I was slightly surprised to hear that in 2012, people were asking whether it was going to make a return. That's interesting. Did you ever really wear a headband? And will the headband make a return? Uh <clears throat> Yes, I. So let's let's take this back. I'm taking this to a long, 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 long question. question. We're up, we're yeah. upgraded. Yeah, okay. You, 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 get, one no, you, you get one upgrade. No, you get one upgrade per. Yep. <laughs> you want to cash that in now? I'm cashing it in. Oh, yeah. Good. So, good options. Your last question. Me and my <laughs> me and my best mate uh, from school, Ryan Gibbs. Um, we used to always wear headbands in every single final that we would play. Because Jamie Dwyer wore headband in the 2004 Athens Olympics, along with uh, Nathan Eglinton, Troy Elder, and I think I think Nolsey wore a headband and Nolsey as well. Mm. Yeah, so all the cool guys. Yeah, um, <laughs> they're all Queenslanders as well. Your bias exactly. is really. I'm going to have to edit all this out to make it accessible <laughs> for everyone. But your bias is showing through painfully. <laughs> well, anyway. Moving on. Um, so we used to wear this headband all the time. And then uh, when I made my debut in, uh, well, no, not my debut. When I made my major tournament debut, um, the Champions Trophy, Luke Dorner thought it'd be cool if I uh, wore a headband. So I did. And fantastic tournament. I played um, very well for my age and my experience. And so I just started wearing it most of the time. Um, and I scored a goal. It's actually one of my most favorite, uh, <laughs> favorite um, photos of my playing career where I scored a goal against uh, England in Mottram Gladbach um, with my headband on as well. So um, there's, a, there's a few cherished moments with my, my headband, but I didn't, I stopped wearing it during 2011. And then, yeah, they asked me, in 2012 whether I was going to wear it for the Olympics and I did yeah but I'm not sure if I'm yeah, the people I, what they I, want. De I definitely won't wear it anymore I mean that's it done it, yeah well it's for the young kids it's for the it's for the hair hair guys the guys who can those guys the, <laughs> the, the people the, with the guys, hair <laughs> the guys who can <laughs> throw salad around you know really really te it really tease the tips of their hair you know Throw, throw the salad around. Although, like, there are guys who wear it for cosmetic reasons as well in international hockey. I won't name it, but he is from Germany. So um, maybe he wears that. And he wears a headband. Yeah. One of few. That's a little treasure hunt for the listeners. Um, I, the irony, knowing your best mate, Gibbsy as well, the irony is not lost on me that both of you are now bald. <laughs> so... Kids, watch out. In a pod. <laughs> um, that'll probably do us, mate. Thanks for thanks for jumping on. I appreciate it. You're fantastic. Yeah. No worries. Thanks, mate. Big thank you to the production team of David Moore, Tim Collier, and 
Jimmy Stevens. If you do like the help side, please like, subscribe, interact. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at the help side on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That's it for now. We'll catch you on the help side next time.